the greatest hits ever made, played by legendary top 40 personalities, Steve Taylor, Ted Randall, Grant Hudson, Big Jim Edwards, and I'm Jeff Lawrence, welcoming you to the world of international broadcasting. Sending out the greatest hits ever made on shortwave, WTWW. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition, liftoff. Vehicles pitching downrange. We've just had a nominal liftoff of our Falcon 9 vehicle carrying our Starlink payload on its way to its targeted orbit. Here in the Digicom Cafe Communications Network, we are all about the power of voice. Did you know that you could listen to my cafe cast by simply asking Alexa to play Radio on the Rocks? And that you could maneuver your way around my cafe cast library by simply saying next or previous? I created this Amazon skill using a free and easy platform called VoiceFlow, where you just build your skill block by block, no coding necessary. If you'd like to build your amateur radio skill, go to voiceflow.com. That's voiceflow.com. Good morning. It's Wednesday, January 29th, 7.50 in the morning. 36 degrees here in the Ozarks of Northern Arkansas. Promise of snow and rain again today. The music you hear in the background is from the live feed of SpaceX. They're minutes away from launching Falcon 9 with another 60 Starlink satellites going to be an exciting day. I love watching the launches of satellites. And these guys do a great job with their presentations, their live coverage. Just go to YouTube and look for SpaceX Live. There are several feeds that you can follow along with. This one is the official one that we're listening to in the background. Makes a nice music backdrop for my podcast. I'm Denny J, K5DCC, your host here in the Digicom Cafe for this episode of Radio on the Rocks, my reality radio podcast, or blogcast as I call it, the purpose of which is to build interest in amateur radio one episode at a time. They should be coming online here shortly. Looks like a beautiful day there in Florida. All conditions are go for a launch. Again, as usual, I don't know where this day is going to go. It's reality radio, so whatever I do, if it's of interest, I'll share it here in my blogcast with additional content on the blog itself. I'll even have a link to this video. You can watch it there if you happen to uh, stumble across it. There's a link there in the podcast show notes that'll take you right to the blog. Put them together and what have you got? blog cast a combination of a blog and my cafe cast all in one and often I'll even have time links that will take you to a specific segment of my podcast this is just the intro 
we're watching here. Here we go. 8.55 a.m. Eastern on January 29th, and you are looking at a live view of the Falcon 9 as it awaits its target at 9.07 a.m. Eastern Time launch from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station in Florida. Good morning from SpaceX headquarters here in Hawthorne, California. My name is Lauren Lyons, and I'm an engineer on our Starlink team here at SpaceX, and welcome to our live webcast of our fourth Starlink mission. To date, we have launched three satellites of 60 star sorry, three sets of 60 Starlink satellites. One set back in May of 2019, another in November, and the most recent just a few weeks ago on January 6th. This network of relatively small but advanced satellites is designed to bring high-speed, low-latency broadband internet to people all over the globe. By design, these satellites will be able to service areas of the globe where connectivity has been unreliable, too expensive, or completely unavailable. For those of you who follow SpaceX closely, you know we successfully completed an in-flight demonstration of our Crew Dragon launch escape system about a week and a half ago on January 19th. This test was the last major milestone before we fly NASA astronauts to the space station for the first time on our Crew Dragon spacecraft later this year. This is a mission known as Demo-2. The rocket you see on your screen right there also played a role in these efforts. Specifically, this booster previously launched the first Crew Dragon spacecraft, minus the astronauts of course, and launched it to the International Space Station for NASA back in March of last year. This was a mission known as Demo-1. Now today we're going to attempt to recover this Falcon 9 first stage for the third time, this time on the drone ship Of Course I Still Love You, which is currently stationed about 350 nautical miles off the eastern coast of Florida. We'll be attempting to recover, we'll also be attempting to recover both fairing pay, payload fairing halves today during our, fair, using our two fairing recovery vessels, Miss Tree and Miss Chief. Ooh. That's cute. So we likely won't see those views live, but we'll provide updates on progress on that recovery as they become available. So we're continuing to count down to liftoff, but if for some reason we have to call a hold on today's launch, we do have a backup opportunity on Thursday, January 30th at 8.45 a.m. Eastern. But at this time, all systems are go for an on-time liftoff. Hi, what's your name? My name is Jesse Anderson, and I'm a lead manufacturing engineer here at SpaceX. Right now, we are looking at a live view of Falcon 9 on our pad Space Launch Complex 40, or Slick 40, in Cape Canaveral, Florida. Falcon 9 stands 70 meters tall, and when it's fully fueled, it'll hold just over a million pounds of propellant that the vehicle will burn through in less than three minutes after wow. liftoff. We prep Falcon 9 for launch in our hangar at the base of the pad, and upon completing final checkouts, Falcon 9 rolled out to the pad with the Starlink payload and went vertical early this morning. The chief engineer held a technical poll at T-minus one hour to confirm no significant issues, and launch director held a propellant load and launch go-no-go no go poll at T-minus 38 minutes to ensure all teams were good to begin the fueling process. Falcon 9 has been loading propellant since T-minus 35 minutes, and currently our rocket-grade kerosene, or RP-1, is nearly fully loaded on the first stage, which is the bottom two-thirds of the vehicle that you see there on your screen. That first stage, which previously flew during SpaceX's Demo-1 mission for NASA, as well as the RadarSat Constellation mission in June of 2019, is responsible for accelerating the vehicle through the Earth's atmosphere to the edge of space with the help of nine Merlin engines. Above that first stage is the second stage, which has a single Merlin vacuum, or MVAC engine, which ignites after the first stage separates. The second stage is what will carry the Starlink satellites to an altitude of 290 kilometers above the Earth's surface.
At this time, second stage is fully fueled and liquid oxygen loading is currently underway on both first and second stage. The stack of 60 satellites is safely enclosed inside of the 17-foot diameter payload fairing, which is the pointed enclosure on the very top of the rocket, and we've got a nice view of the uh, satellites stacked up right there. The, these are flat satellites, so you can see that there on your screen. And once we reach the vacuum of space, we will deploy the fairing as the second stage continues on its journey to its final orbit. So far, weather is looking good during our launch window for an on-time launch, but we'll be keeping an eye on, the, on this all the way down to T minus zero. The Air Force range is prepared to support today's mission. Waters are clear of any ships, and the range continues to ensure the safety of our launch. The vehicle, satellites, weather, and range are all looking good for an on-time liftoff just a few minutes from now. A single geosat will serve a fixed but broad area and is typically placed about 35,000 kilometers or higher above the Earth. Now, one of the main drawbacks of that high altitude is high latency or delay in that signal that's provided because they're so far above the Earth. Starlink, on the other hand, is a constellation of multiple satellites that orbit the planet, but at much lower, at about 550 kilometers. Because of this low orbit, latency is much lower than with satellites in geostationary orbit. This enables Starlink to deliver services like seamless video calls that are usually not possible on other satellite internet systems. And because Starlink satellites fly in a global constellation, we can bring high-speed internet to places that previously had terrible service or no service at all. Some of the most exciting opportunities for Starlink are rural or remote locations where traditional fiber or cable just isn't practical. And Starlink can also deliver high-speed internet to locations where fiber and cable aren't possible at all, such as a cruise ship or an airplane. Building a constellation that can provide this level of service is incredibly challenging, but we are making steady progress towards that goal with every Starlink launch. And one quick note, during our last launch we mentioned that we were experimenting with a darkening treatment on one of our satellites. This is part of an effort to minimize reflections from the satellites that may be distracting to some astronomers during their observations of the night sky. It takes a few weeks for those satellites to reach their final orbit destination, so we don't have the results of that dark sat experiment just yet, but we'll be sure to share what we've learned as the data becomes available. Well, this is why we I'm so excited about it, is we're going to get fast internet here out in the sticks in Arkansas. Now moving into the final stages of the countdown. At T minus seven minutes, engine chill began. This is where we allow a small amount of the super chilled liquid oxygen to flow into the Merlin turbo pumps prior to the full flow of liquid oxygen into the vehicle, and that's to avoid any shocks to the system. Liquid oxygen is also what's creating the white puffs around Falcon 9. We continue to load superchilled liquid oxygen, or LOX, into the stage until just before liftoff, and when that superchilled LOX comes in contact with the ambient air around it, it creates those white clouds surrounding the vehicle that you can see there on your screen. And just a few moments ago, around T minus four and a half minutes, the transporter erector retracted away from the rocket slightly, and this provides clearance for Falcon 9 to lift off. The first and second stages are both nearly fully loaded with one million pounds of kerosene fuel and liquid oxygen. First stage should finish prop loading at T minus three minutes and second stage at T minus two minutes. At T minus 60 seconds, be sure to listen in to the call out that Falcon 9 is in startup. This means that the rocket's autonomous internal flight computers have taken over the launch countdown. This booster has launched from our 39A launch pad, our Vandenberg launch pad, and it is now getting ready for liftoff from our Slick 40 launch pad today. 
The Starlink payload continues to be healthy. The Falcon 9 team is tracking no issues on the rocket. Weather is still looking good, and the range is green for launch. So let's listen in to the last few minutes of the countdown. Can you imagine what one launch costs? They say that uh, Elon Musk will be spending $20 billion to put up 12,000 of these satellites. But he'll be making much more than that in the services they sell for internet service. And I think they said something like $120 billion a year they'll make. Stage 2 lock flow is closed out. Ground gas close out starting. Quite a sight they have here. All the little bodies of water around the launch site. Falcon 9, it's surrounded by four tall lightning towers that are taller than the space Falcon rocket itself. Minus 30 T seconds. Minus 30 seconds. Ah, this is exciting. T minus 15 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Zero. Ignition. Lift off. Vehicle is pitching downrange. Stage one propulsion is normal. It is T plus 45 seconds, and we've just had a nominal liftoff of our Falcon 9 vehicle carrying our Starlink payload on its way to its targeted orbit. In just about 20 seconds coming up here, we will be passing through max Q. Falcon 9 is supersonic. That is the maximum aerodynamic pressure that the vehicle will see, which is the largest structural load that the vehicle sees throughout ascent. vehicle is experiencing maximum aerodynamic pressure. And we've just heard that call out from Max Q. Coming up next in about a minute will be three events back to back, starting off with MECO or main engine cutoff, followed immediately by stage separation. And this is where the first stage separates from the second stage. And then followed by SES-1, which is second engine startup. And back engine chill. They've got cameras on this, so you can we see all the separations, all three of those and you can see the on your screen. blue globe but behind right now it. now we've got an awesome view looking aft on the vehicle with the Earth in the background. It's amazing. 
Now, if you're just now joining us, we're about 30 seconds away from Miko main engine cutoff, stage separation, and SES-1, or second engine start-1. You're nearly 50 kilometers up. Now traveling at over 7,000 kilometers a minute. There's that main engine cutoff. Engine cut off. Or is that stage a second? separation confirmed. I can't see the type there where it says that. You can see the stage separation. First stage separating from second stage on your left screen. Confirmed and on the right, second engine startup. That's that MVAC engine on our second stage. And there's that bright red glow on the engine. So now coming up in about 20 seconds is fairing deploy. And as Lauren mentioned earlier, we will be attempting to catch both payload fairing halves on our recovery vessels, Miss Tree and Miss Chief. We will un it will be unlikely that we will see these live on the webcast. So we'll bring you updates as they become available. But you can also check into our social media for updates as well. Fairing separation confirmed. And there's that call out for Fairing separation. There's fairing deploy. You can see that on your right screen. Those fairing there's, halves there's are now the You can see that on your screen, actually. The fairing halves are making their way back to Earth, and hopefully we can catch those on our recovery vessels. And the first stage rocket already has the little legs turned out, so it can land standing up on their little pad out there in the ocean. Okay, so we have on both sides of your screen here, we got stage one on the left and stage two on the right. So a lot of really cool stuff coming up all at once or in rapid succession here in the next few minutes. On the left side, what we're gonna see on the stage one side of things is at about T plus six minutes and 24 seconds, more or less, you're gonna hear the call out and hopefully visually see the stage one entry burn. That's where we reignite three of those uh, Merlin 1D engines and that allows the second, sorry, the first stage to slow down as it re-enters the upper part of the Earth's stage atmosphere. Stage two is on a nominal trajectory. All right, as you just heard, stage two is on a nominal trajectory. That's really cool. Meanwhile, stage one is coasting down, uh, getting ready for that entry burn. That burn's gonna last just under 20 seconds. After that entry burn, stage one will continue to coast down towards the drone ship. And at about T plus eight minutes or so, you're gonna hear the call out for the landing burn. That is where we reignite a single Merlin 1D engine, that center engine E9, and that slows the vehicle down to zero velocity. And hopefully you'll see a cool image of it standing right up on the drone ship. Meanwhile, stage two continues to perform nominally, wearing that MVAC is at full power. Now, right after the stage one landing, about 20 seconds later, you're gonna hear the call out for Seco 1, that second engine cutoff one. That is where we cease to burn the second stage engine and takes us into our first coast phase. That stage two engine is burning with more than 200,000 pounds of thrust as it takes that stack of 60 Starlink satellites to its first parking orbit. Stage one entry startup. 
Alright, you see that entry burn as it started. So we lost the image, but hopefully it'll come back. That entry burn was just under 20 seconds long. Meanwhile, stage two, stage as you can see. Entry stage two continues to burn, and we just heard the call out that the entry burn on stage one has concluded. Stage two continues on a nominal trajectory. So we're a little bit under uh, a minute from the landing burn start. Meanwhile, stage two, as you just heard, continues on a nominal trajectory. Stage one, Sonic. Little dropouts in the video. It's amazing that they can capture this video so clearly. Okay, in just under 15 seconds, stage one should start that landing burn. Hopefully stage we'll one get landing start up. Back. They have multiple cameras on these things, so they get it from different angles. Watching this glow of the engine. Right, that landing burn is currently going. Unfortunately, we don't have the video from the vehicle, but we do have the drone Stage one video. deploy. Stage two is in terminal guidance. Now they're showing, the, oh, there it comes. All right. Oh, look and at that. Almost yes. dead center. Awesome. That's the third landing of this booster. Unbelievable. Landing on, of course, I still love you. How do they do that? Very cool. And any second now, we should be seeing Seco 1. That is where that second stage engine will cut off. This is science fiction. That animation there, but let's still listen out for the call. Out. All right, as you just heard, second engine shut down. Oh, as Cape expected. And we got confirmation that we're in a good orbit. All right, so we're now going to enter a coast phase. So we're going to take a quick break. But we'll be leaving you with an animation that shows where we are in the coast phase, and we'll be back at about T plus 45 minutes for a second stage relight, followed by another brief coast and then payload deploy. Hopefully we'll be able to bring you that payload deploy live on the webcast, so we'll see you back here in just over 35 minutes. All right, we're looking at the uh, capsule with the 60 satellites. AOS Newfoundland. In about 35 minutes, they'll go through the process of releasing those satellites. And they'll just drift into orbit. Well, they kind of have to get separated a little bit. They say they kind of bump into each other, but they've been designed to handle that. But over time, they slowly spread apart, and then they can maneuver them to their proper orbit level. And if you happen to be looking in the sky, if they are going overhead, you'll see the Starlink train. I've yet to see one, but there are applications that you can use, like uh, from Celestrack, you can find the link to it on our Facebook group, Digicom Cafe. 
I'll post it in the notes here too for today's blogcast where you can follow and track all of these Starlink satellites. I'll be back in half an hour. It's 8.36. SpaceX's launch happened about 32 minutes ago. We're now waiting for deployment of the satellites. Right now there's over 46,000 people watching the SpaceX live feed of the launch of the Falcon 9 rocket. We're waiting for deployment of 60 more Starlink satellites. And while I've been waiting, I've been active on 80 meters, tuning around with my new pan adapter connection to my ICOM 746 Pro. Did I tell you I'm an ICOM fan? I love this radio. And now with this uh, full screen pan adapter running HDSDR, it is the cat's meow. So anyway, we checked into uh, the tail end of the Ozark net on 3963. Was warmly welcomed by Bill N0UMP. He's up there in Garden City, Missouri. We have something in common. We both became hams uh, about 50 years ago. He said he was first licensed about 1971, back in the days when we started out as a novice. You can see him on his QRZ page. He's got a picture of him by his station. And he was running a SB200 linear amplifier, which I love. I used to own some Heathkit gear, built it myself. SB-102, SB-200 linear amplifier, SB-630 station console, electronic keyer. I used that for many years. It was a good radio. And it looks like Bill is a, a big Heathkit fan too. Meanwhile, we're waiting for Mission Control to come back and show us the deployment of 60 more Starlink satellites, which is going to bring high-speed internet to us here in the Ozarks. I notice I had my sound running in the background here for my pan adapter. Kind of a unique setup I've got here. I have an RTL-SDR dongle with a hammered up converter that's connected to a separate long wire antenna outside. Now it's linked to my ICOM 746 Pro which is also linked to a different long wire, end fed long wire antenna by My Antennas. It's a great antenna, highly recommend it. You can see it and many others at MyAntennas.com. Inexpensive, low profile, low SWR on multiple bands. Gets out pretty good. I probably should get an amplifier if I'm gonna punch through all the noise on 80 meters. But I love it. I haven't had a desire to do anything more since I got it. It just works. So anyway, on my pan adapter running HDSDR, I can monitor myself coming back through the other antenna. A bit on the hot side, <laughs> you can tell. But I can also monitor my audio levels and my FT8 digital stuff. I can make sure I'm not overdriving. It's a cool system I got here. Pretty happy with it. 
The temperature's up to 36 degrees now here. I think the forecast is for snow, believe it or not. It's supposed to go up to 39. I don't think we're going to get snow. And at that temperature, we won't get any freezing rain either, I hope. Alexa, what's the forecast for Omaha, Arkansas? In Omaha, Arkansas, it's 34 degrees Fahrenheit with flurries. Today, you can look for snowy, rainy weather with a high of 39 degrees and a low of 31 degrees. Well, I've got 36 here. A lot of it has to do with elevation. It makes a big difference. We're on one of the hills, but it's not very high. It's only 850 feet above sea level. But there are many hills around us that are much taller. And the temperature's probably a bit colder up there. Or maybe not. Maybe it all settles into the lower areas. We can always tell when we drive from Harrison up here if we get into any fog, as soon as we get down the valley to come up our hill, the fog is up above us and we'll drive up a steep hill to get to our place and often by the time we get up to our place, uh, we're back in the fog again. You know, here in the Digicom Cafe, we have a ham radio buffet. What I mean by that is we have multiple ways that we can interact with one another, multiple social media platforms, communications platforms. I'll just give you a rundown of what we've got if you'd like to join our fellowship. We start out with uh, All-Star Link. I have an All-Star Link node in the cloud. That's node number 27619, which has Echolink attached to it. It's part of the All-Star Asterisk system. My Echolink node is my call sign dash L. K5DCC dash L. Sounds like they're coming back. That is also bridged to my DMR talk group 203 on the TGIF network. My all-star node here at home is 27622 with an Echolink node K5DCC-R. So if you'd like to join us, just uh, use your phone. Go on Echolink, connect to our node, or you can connect to the Yacht Group, who we are partnering with. That's the Yacht Conference Server, Captain Ed, KG8 Charlie X-Ray. We have nets every Tuesday night and Saturday night at 7 p.m. Lots of talented youth, young hams as young as eight years old. Very impressive kids. Invite you to join us. Also in our partnership with QSO America, they have nets uh, several evenings a week. The fairing halves so far. This one is on Miss Tree, and we're still waiting to hear uh, if we are able to catch the one on Miss Chief, the second fairing half. So exciting news so far this morning. We will bring you updates um, on Miss Tree and that second uh, fairing half as soon as we get more information. It's amazing that they can do that. Of course with GPS and they can uh, track these fairings as they're coming down so they know pretty much exactly where they're going to land. They can position their ships accordingly and they've got a pretty good sized net.
pretty interesting spacey music in the background, don't you think? What we're seeing on the live feed right now is uh, animation of where the satellite is, where the spacecraft is. Now we're getting a live picture of it again. I would imagine they'll be back here shortly showing the deployment of these Starlink satellites. I will put the link to this video in the blogcast today toward the end of the day. I have to do the cafe cast first, get it propagated to the other different podcast platforms. The one I really like to use the most is Overcast. Overcast.fm because it is a, a simple player. You can view it in any browser without a lot of clutter. So all the links going out to the podcast from my blogcast page will go to Overcast. Even though I do my recording and publishing out of Anchor.fm which offers me all kinds of great tools to create my podcast segment by segment, being able to add background Welcome back music. Welcome the webcast for Starlink. We had some exciting news that we did catch one of the fairing halves on Miss Tree. Unfortunately, we were unable to catch the second fairing half on Miss Chief. It was really, really close. Uh, looks like it did have a soft water landing, so we will be pulling that fairing half out of the water and hopefully reusing it again in the future. Uh, so coming up next in about 30 seconds from now is will be SES-2 followed by SECO-2 and that's second engine start and second engine cutoff. Now this burn will last just one second long. It's one of the shortest burns that we do and that's because we are so close to our targeted orbit that it one second, a one second burn will get us there um, just fine. So that's coming up shortly in about five seconds or so. Again, it might not look like much because it is a one-second burn. Hopefully, we'll get that live view. And we've had confirmation of SES-2 and SECO-2. Now just waiting for confirmation of good orbit. Sounds like she's talking in a lunchroom. Or maybe it's the manufacturing plant where they mass-produce these satellites. Sure sounds like plates and silverware to me. And we've had confirmation of good orbit. So now that second stage is in a good orbit and making its way to its final destination. insertion for satellite deploy. And there's that call out. Now that we're in a good orbit, we'll be coasting for the next 15 minutes or so. So we'll be back at T plus one hour and one minute for payload deploy. Okay. Another stage complete. I'm not going to let you uh, hang around here for 15 minutes waiting. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. AOS Tasmania.
We're getting close to deployment of the satellites. If you've watched our previous Starlink webcasts, you're aware that our satellites are flatly packed with no dispenser and that the deployment sequence looks a little bit different from what you'll see on a typical launch. The satellites will slowly disperse upon deploy and they may even bump into one another, which is to be expected. The satellites were designed with this in mind and we are less than one minute away from deployment of the Starlink satellites. They say that we will have this service available sometime this summer here in the United States and Canada. I can't wait. I will definitely be buying one of their boxes. And they say their service should be less expensive than any other satellite okay, service. Okay, so after the satellites deploy, they are going to over time separate from one another and use their onboard Krypton ion thrusters in order to space themselves out into, or into their orbital planes and raise their altitude to their operational orbit of 550 kilometers. Our insertion orbit, orbit, if you remember today, is about 290 kilometers above the Earth. Sounds like she's in the manufacturing facility. Starlink tension rod separation confirmed. Okay, we just heard the call out that uh, separation has been confirmed. Let's see if we can get another view. That would be really cool. Here, it should be coming up. There we go. Yep. Oh, that's gorgeous. There they go. That's that 60 Starlink satellites successfully separating from stage two. And that beautiful planet there is the planet that those satellites are going to provide internet service to, which is super, super exciting. And with that, that brings our webcast to a close. We had a successful mission. We had a great stage one ascent, completing the hat trick, launching from three separate launch sites. We had the third recovery of this booster. Stage two delivered Starlink to its operation or to its targeted orbit. And as you just saw, we successfully separated those 60 Starlink satellites. So, oh, and also we caught a fairing. That's a big deal <laughs> and super awesome. And we were able to see it in the daytime, which is even more cool. So a big thank you to the 45th Space Wing for range safety and to the FAA for licensing today's successful launch. We'd also like to thank all of you, our viewers, for tuning in this morning. Follow our website and social media platforms for updates on our next missions and milestones. And until next time, have a great morning. Thank you. What a wonderful presentation. I'm just uh, so excited about what SpaceX is doing. Again, sometime this summer, their services will be available to the United States and Canada. All of us out in the boonies, the rural areas where we can't get fiber, we can now get 5G. Stand by, I'll be back with more. Hi, this is Extra Class Amateur Radio Operator, K5DCC. I just upgraded to my extra class last year. You know how I did it? I used HamTest Online. Did you know that HamTest Online is the top rated study program on eham.net? 97% of reviewers gave them five stars. They have more five-star user reviews than all other study methods combined. And success is guaranteed. If you fail the amateur radio license exam, they will refund your subscription. It's a no-brainer. You pass the exam or get a full refund. Try it for yourself at hamtestonline.com.
start every night at 7 o'clock, guys. 7 o'clock, it's the Rag Chew Crew. 8.30, it's Tailgaters time. 9 o'clock, Trivia. And then uh, here at 10 o'clock, or in this case, 10.16, it's time for the Free Wheelers Net. Don't forget we're on the Internet, 3916nets.com is the website, 3916nets.com. Click on the Contact tab. You can become an official member of the Net. Get your name and the birthday shout-out. And we'll send you a certificate suitable for framing, 3916nets.com. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com. Simply do a search for 3916, and you will be in business. All right, we're shutting down the net logger, and that means you can uh, get back into net logger for the Freewheelers net, which is up there right now. So check that out. And KC0MQS, send me a bill for this rent I owe you for the Freewheelers net. I'm, I'm 16 minutes into the net, and it's, <laughs> I think it's time for you, Jimmy. KE5GGY. How about Jimmy? Are you there? Is there, a, uh, is there a net control that wants to take it? Okay, I'll start it up, one there, Pete. All right, take it away, Bill. Okay, I'll sit in for Jimmy here for just a few minutes, and uh, let's say CQ, CQ, CQ. Welcome to the month. Uh, <laughs> Wednesday night edition of the Freewheeler, sponsored by the Freewheeler's Amateur Radio Transmitting Society. The name here is Bill, and my call sign is W5W8K. And I am located in Temple, Texas, just a few miles east of Fort Hood in Clean, Texas. I'm sitting in right now for Jimmy M KC0 MQS, who should be along shortly. I will be uh, your uh, Wednesday night net control this evening shortly, operating under the Freewheeler Club call of W4FCW. That call sign belonged to Ken Odom, who started this net in 1998. The Freewheeler's net is a camaraderie net. Here we would like to keep it family friendly by avoiding off-color jokes and controversial topics such as religion or politics. This is a directed net, which means all communications should go through net control. This is not an emergency net, but should there be an emergency, just say break, break, and you will get all the help we can possibly give you. Is there any emergency or priority traffic? Are there any relays for emergency or priority traffic? Okay, there's nothing hurt, so we're going to go through two rounds with our second round being a 73 round. Border to border, coast to coast, this is the Free Wheelers on a Wednesday night. But first, we're going to pass it over to Pete for the Wayback Machine, over to KE5GZY from W4FCW. All right, thank you uh, very much there, uh, Bill, and good evening, Free Wheelers. Let's uh, take you back for a little bit of history. Here we are, it is the Wayback Machine. And as we take off on this Wednesday night, let's check our dashboard to see where we're at. It's January 29th, 2020. 29th day, of course, of the year. And that means we have uh, 337 days left in the year 2020. And we start with a number of uh, firsts and patents and inventions. 1861, uh, Kansas, the Sunflower State, came into the USA on this day, state number 34. And it's easy to figure out why it's the Sunflower State, just to drive through it. You'll see all those huge yellow flowers. And uh, it is... Uh, it is pretty, uh, a lot of weed up there, too. So a uh, happy anniversary and a happy birthday to Kansas on this day. It's a uh, bunch of sports history. 1936, we have the Baseball Hall of Fame opening up. And in that first class of uh, all-stars, you had Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Honus Wagner, and Walter Johnson. So some talented names getting uh, 
inducted. And then in 1963 on this day, we've got the, uh, the opening and the first class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And they had 17 uh, inductees into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, including Sammy Baugh. Let's find some other names that you would know. George Hallis. Let's see here. Uh, Curly Lambeau. Yeah, there's one for you. And uh, Jim Thorpe, the ones I recognize. Pro Football Hall of Fame, 1963 on this day. And uh, we have a couple other things sports-related. 1995, Super Bowl number 29 in Miami. The 49ers over the Chargers, 49-26. to MVP was Steve Young. Uh, Threw a record of six TD passes in that game. We may see that record eclipsed this coming Sunday. And uh, last but not least, here's your number one songs, what you were listening to on the radio. 1957, Don't Forbid Me, Pat Boone, number one on this day. 1965, Downtown from the uh, beautiful Petula Clark. 1973, Crocodile Rock, Elton John. And 1981, The Tide is High by Blondie. So there you have it, guys. Wayback Machine. That's it for uh, Wednesday, January 29th, 2020. Today's daily devotional is entitled Confronting with Truth. Leviticus 5.1 reads, If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Here's something we do not often think about as Christians. In the Old Testament, if a person witnessed or knew about a wrongdoing and did not act to correct it by testifying against it, God considered that person just as guilty as the person who committed the crime or offense. Today, society is so far from practicing this principle, even amongst God's people. We have become a society of, quote-unquote, mind your own business to the point that we allow wrong and evil to flourish because we don't want to get involved. Fear of what what will happen if we speak up has caused us to overlook so much of what we should be confronting as God's people. Obviously, if we ever find ourselves in a position to have to testify in court or be a witness in any other proceedings, as God's children, we should always testify to the truth, regardless of what we think the outcome might be. God hates a false witness, we know from Proverbs uh, 6.19. However, let us bring that even closer to home. What if we witness or find out that our brother or sister in Christ, good friend, family member, is involved in some type of sinful activity that violates God's word? What do we do? Do we just ignore it? Do we continue to fellowship with a person who is living in a way that goes against the holiness of God? The Word of God tells us that as born-again believers, we are not only accountable to God, but to one another. And now, this is where we must be careful and wise as to how we approach one another when it comes to dealing with sin. Too many Christians use uh, Matthew 7.1, Judge not, that you be not judged, as a loophole uh, for not being uh, confronted about sin and not confronting sin. This is not what the passage is saying. What we are not to do is approach others with a judgmental attitude when confronting sin. Galatians uh, chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 tells us to approach with a goal of restoration, but examining ourselves before we approach so that we do so with humility. James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 tell us, uh, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. If necessary, once we have addressed the sin, if the person insists on, forsa- insists on not forsaking it, 
uh, we have biblical instructions and options for dealing with the sinning brother or sister. If the issue is one that uh, can be resolved privately, then do so, as we know from Matthew 18. And if the person refuses, we can bring others with us in an attempt to correct and restore. Also Matthew chapter 18. If necessary, the guilty party should be rebuked publicly in love so that they will turn from their erring ways. We know from 1 Timothy 5.20. As a last result, if the person uh, persists, then it would be appropriate to break fellowship with them. And we know this from 1 Corinthians 5.11, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, and 2 Thessalonians 3.14. Here's where we go wrong in confronting sin. We rebuke in a mean-spirited manner. We fail to speak the truth in love, as we know from Ephesians 4.15. And we outcast a person to the extent that they are pushed further away from God and the church with no desire of being reconciled. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-8 through read, This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. The bottom line is that we as Christians must not be fearful and must be adamant about confronting and testifying to the truth when it comes to dealing with sin. If we witness it and know about it, we must do all that we can in love to deal with it and bring whoever that person is back into fellowship with Christ in the church. It can be a painful process and sometimes a disappointing one when the person we're trying to help turns back, turns their back on God and us. If we fail to confront sin and error, the consequences can be devastating as it will affect others, especially as it pertains to spiritual things. The Apostle Paul confronted the Apostle Peter for his hypocrisy in Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. It reads, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came to James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. We're not to ignore, excuse, or justify evil, sinful, hypocritical behavior. We are to be witnesses to the truth. Let us do so in a way that honors God. Today, God extends an invitation to you to accept His free gift of salvation. Will you accept it? Anyone who calls on Jesus by faith and repentance, confessing your sins, will receive eternal life. Do not put off calling on Him and receive Him in His free gift of salvation today. Look! Up in the sky! <gasps> <laughs>